Uh, last uh, night, we had a, uh, a fun event here, and um, it was our Uyghur night. And if you were here, thank you for coming. I hope you had a great time. And, and some of you may be thinking, like, Uyghur night, huh? That's an interesting church event. What, what, what's going on with that? And, uh, and it was. It was just a fun time for fun and fellowship, play cards, get to know everybody. But what the main point of events like that at our church, and something that I, I just want to continue to remind us, the main point for those events is for us to have fun, sure, but to invite, to take that as an opportunity to go next door to a neighbor, to a co-worker, to somebody whom you may be in your circle that you talk to all the time, but you never ever really kind of talk to them about church or anything else like that because we don't talk about church with other people like that, right? And maybe just do that and, and invite them to a low impact event so that they feel the hospitality, so that they catch the aroma as Carrie uh, prayed for, the aroma of Christ that's living through us and feel that hospitality. And maybe just maybe, maybe, we don't know, that they would find a welcoming pew here on a Sunday morning. That's the reason for those Euchre nights and for connection events that we do. It's not just for our fellowship, but it is for the fellowship of this community to reach out and to invite folks here. Maybe let me put it this way, because sometimes when we do the invitations, we don't always get the affirmative answer, and that's why maybe that stops us, because we don't want the no, we don't want the rejection. Have you ever heard this statement that you can lead a horse to water? What's the follow-up? Can't make him drink, right. And you may have heard this too. So I read a comment about this. This is the first time I've ever seen this. That you lead a horse to water, you can't make him drink. I read this comment about a salesman, right? Salesman lost his sale, and he's with his sales manager. And he's all upset and just befuddled by the whole thing. And he says to his sales manager, I guess, you know, in the end, you lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. The sales manager looks at him and says, son, your job is not necessarily to make the horse drink. Your job is to make him thirsty. How many have heard that before? Your job is to make them... I didn't hear that. That's new for me. Make him thirsty. This is true of our efforts to share the gospel, my friends. We are called to be lights of truth, absolutely. And in the Great Commission, we are called to go out and share the gospel of Christ, to baptize, to teach, to make disciples. And so often, all of us could possibly begin to believe the lie that it's on us to get the horse to drink. It's on us to make the disciple. It's on us to make sure that they come alive to that gospel, bend a knee to Jesus, and that we have to get them to take from that well. But evangelism and living out our call, my friends, is best achieved when we realize that it actually isn't on us to make people drink, but to live in such a way, obedient to the call of Christ, living out as he lived so that people around us get this thirst for more, thirst to have what we have. Today, Ezekiel's vision, when we open it up, is going to turn into a call. He's going to get called into the role of office of prophet, which is not always sought after the prophet office for various reasons. And his call is not so much to make people thirsty at first, though that's the end game goal. His call at first is to step into the impossible, the unimaginable, and to deliver a hard truth of judgment and consequences to his people. It is a heavy burden of a call filled with sorrow and lament. So, Yay, more sunshine, right? But hidden within that call, my friends, lies the foundations of hope. 
Hidden within that call lies the foundations. And hopefully, and hopefully you have seen that in these last, now this is what, week three, that every time that I bring the doom and gloom, I'm also shining a light where the hope is at. We have both in play. We have both doom and gloom that has to happen and the hope that is there, and it is also in this call as well. He is called to model true obedience, Ezekiel is, so that God may be glorified. And the point of God being glorified in his glory is so that everyone in the world, get this, would know and thirst for him. When God issues a call on our lives, and he has, he has issued a call on our lives. If you have bent a knee to Jesus, the Lord, your Savior, there is a call placed on your life. Just like Ezekiel, that call can be full of sorrow at times and also joy. There is sorrow and there is joy in being the called. Everyone excited for that? So there you see it. That's the main idea today. So let's rock and roll through this, okay? So we're going to jump into this. What does it mean, there's sorrow and there's joy and being the called? What is all that? How, do, how does that? how do you get this from Ezekiel? So we're going to look at Ezekiel. We're going to read Ezekiel 2 through 3.15. I'd love for you to open up your Bibles to page 823 to 824. I'm going to read it to you. It's a little bit of a lengthy passage, and so I always gamble when you do the lengthy passages because four or five lines in, everyone's like, and Yahoo, what's on Yahoo? And, you know, and checking the games of the score. So, so I just, you know, fair warning, it's a bit of a length, but you need to get the whole picture here of, of what's happening with this call. So God has now given a vision to Ezekiel. And now this vision turns into a specific call, a purpose, a task for Ezekiel to carry out. What on earth could it be? Let's find out. Hear now the word of the Lord, chapter 2. And he said to me, God says to Ezekiel, son of man. So if you got your pencils, pens, go ahead and underline that. That son of man is going to be an important phrase. And there's also going to be, you will see, repetitive phrases through this again. If you are the highlighting type, go ahead and highlight those repetitive phrases because they are obviously very, very important. Son of man, stand on your feet, God says, and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants are also uh, impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of the words, though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions." <laughs> Fun, right? We were just watching Hook last night. Anyone see that movie Hook? Remember? You remember the movie where Glenn Coase is a, is a pirate and she has to go in the boom box and they drop the scorpions in? That's what I saw when I read this. I was like, ooh, yeah, scorpions. God says, be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are, here it is again, a rebellious house. And you shall speak my words to them, whether they, here it is again, Refuse to hear or hear, for they are a rebellious house. But you, son of man, 
You, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was outstretched to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and the writing on it, front and back, there were written on it words of lamentation, mourning, and woe. See? Don't worry, we're getting sunshine eventually. And he said to me, son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me this scroll to eat. He's eating paper, everyone. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, this scroll of lamentation, mourning, and woe, and it tastes as sweet as honey. And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them, for you are not sent to a people of foreign speech and hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many people of foreign speech and hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely, if I sent you to them, to those nations, to that such, to those people, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel, they won't be willing to listen to you, for they're not willing to listen to me because... All the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Behold, I made your face as hard as their faces and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery harder than flint, I've made your forehead. Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart and hear with your ears. Go to the exiles, to your people. And speak to them and say to them, thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. At that point, the cherubim begin to get all a flutter and they flap their wings and there's thunders and earthquakes. And he hears the phrase, blessed be the, blessed be the glory of the Lord from its place. In verse 14, it says, then the spirit lifted me up and took me away. And I went in bitterness, in the heat of my spirit and the hand of the Lord being strong upon me came to the exiles at Tel Aviv who were dwelling by the Jabar Canal, and I sat where they were dwelling. And I sat there, overwhelmed, among them seven days. All right, let's pull the audience. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thumbs up if you see the sorrow in this call. Thumbs up. You see the sorrow, the mourning, lamentations. Andy, I'm waiting that thumb up. I'm calling you out. No, I'm just looking at you. <laughs> Yes, right, right. Thumbs up. He's in my small group. I can do that. Thumbs up if you see any joy in here. Good. Good. All right. All right. I love it. Let's find out. All right. So let's get the sorrow out of the way. It's important, but let's figure this out. Why is there sorrow in this call? And why would there be sorrow in our call as well? Everything about Ezekiel's call in this passage is not so great. Okay, it's not necessarily welcomed by Ezekiel. No one goes out and seeks out to be a prophet. Prophets usually end up dying for what they are doing, and no one really wants to do that. And there's also this mandate on prophets in the Old Testament time that if what they say doesn't come true or cannot be validated, they are also killed. So no one's really seeking after this. And so here comes this call to be a prophet to the people. Though through by the Spirit, Ezekiel remains obedient. It's not a soft after thing for him. God is the initiator. He is the caller. Look at the words. Stan, God says, I will speak with you. I send you the words I give you. God is the one that's feeding all of this. And the call is, again, an impossible, unimaginable task. Go to your people, 
to your kinsmen and deliver the truth. That's to his family, to his friends, to his neighbors, to his people. Deliver the truth that the divine warrior cometh and the bell tolls for thee, O Israel. So then I thought about it. I thought about what would that be like for us? Because we are called to go out into the world. We are called as Christians to go out to the world and share the good news. What would it be like for us if we got to like the Today Show in New York City and walked up to the studio, whatever it is, and said, hey, Hoda, I need to get in front of the camera. And by some graceful miracle, she puts you in front of the camera and you say, oh, America, woe to you. A country is coming and shall take a few over and you shall die and be taken away. How would that pan out? What would happen to you had you done that? Cut to commercial, very good. Arrested, maybe. Carted off, maybe. You encounter briars and thorns and scorpions of the like. Maybe that would happen. Listen, we as a humanity, we as people, we're not so different from age to age. We're pretty darn predictable. We never want to hear bad news. Ezekiel's friends don't want to hear this. Neither do our people that we go out to and minister to. They don't want to hear bad news. And absolutely, they don't want to hear the truth of their frailty. We want to live in denial comfortably that we can live on for forever and be our own men and women and do what we want to do. This is the call in which Ezekiel has been called. Boy, it just keeps getting better and better, right? There's a sorrowfulness in this because there's no guarantee that the people we are sent to will actually listen and thirst and drink. But does that mean that we stop? Does that mean that we don't live out our call as lights of the world? Does that mean Ezekiel doesn't live out his call as someone who needs to go and warn My friends, the thing that, it's the same with me, the thing that stops me from being bold and courageous is the fear of the reception that I'm going to get from that person. I don't want to hear a no. I don't want to hear rejection. And so we often find ourselves, it's not not worth it, not going to do it. But do you understand that when we do that, where we place the power We don't place the power in the Word of God that has the ability to transform any heart of stone. We put the power in their rejection. Who are they? They're just a person just like us. They have no power in that rejection. Why would we ever give it such power to silence the truth, to step away from our call as lights in the world? So this is what Ezekiel is faced with. And if you ever want to walk away from the call of God on your life, open your Bibles up to the book of Jonah and see how that fared well with him. If you know who Jonah is, Jonah ran away from his call and ended up in a big fish belly for quite some time. I don't know about you. The only Jonah in the whale that I want to see is the restaurant at Ocean City, Maryland. They got a great buffet and some seafood that's on there. It's fantastic. God's word never comes back void. There is always good in sharing and proclaiming his truth, my friends. Always good. Even if it doesn't produce an outcome that we are hoping for or that we expect. That's the real sorrow of the call, is that we never really can tell if it's going to produce the outcome that we're really, really wanting. But it will produce the outcome and the purposes that God has foreordained and has put together. 
The sorrow continues in this call, it really does. God really lays it on thick with this whole sorrow and the divine warrior cometh because within the, the, the statements that God says here to Ezekiel, notice God says, thus says the Lord God. He doesn't say, thus says the Lord your God. Notice that God says, go to your people. He doesn't say, go to my people. And notice also, he says to Ezekiel, I'll send you to your people. They don't have foreign language. They don't have hard, they can understand what you're saying, but they're not going to listen. However, if I were to send you to a people of foreign nations, if I were to send you there, they will surely listen. There is a reverse kind of election that's happening here. Now, that's not to say that you can lose your salvation. I'm not saying that. God's laying down a point here. If you are going to continue in your rebellious ways and not repent from generation to generation and make a mockery and profane who I am as your God, I am not your God then. I never was, obviously. But those, as we know, because repentance is always throughout, and Ezekiel's prophecy when we get to the end is going to be all about restoration and, and recovery and things like that. Those who do bend a knee, those who see the glory of God, those who see it modeled out in Ezekiel's life, they'll catch that aroma and bend a knee and repent. But for right now, Ezekiel, you're going to go and tell them this is coming. This destruction is coming. This rebellious house is going to incur all of this, and my friend Ezekiel, they're not going to listen to you, but still say it, but still speak it. There's some sorrow in that call, my friends. There is some sorrow in that. Who would want to take on a project that they knew was going to fail by our standards? I wouldn't want to do that. And the passage ends then with Ezekiel being carried away into the exile place where they're exiled, his, his kinsmen. He says, I sat there dwelling, and it gives these attributes as to how Ezekiel felt bitter and overwhelmed by what he had just heard and what he is about to set out to do. There is deep sorrow in being called, and yet we can find great assurance and hope in God's plan, we can. The call is always a burden that is too heavy for us. It's too heavy for Ezekiel. Notice it's the spirit that stands him up, not himself. God always empowers and equips the called, you and I and Ezekiel. And it's not so that we can be the great somebodies, but that our message would glorify the living creator God so that people see God in what we're saying and not ourselves and our imperfections. That's something else that stops us from evangelizing to people because we all get wrapped up in how imperfect we are. Guess what, everybody? You all are imperfect. Look to the person to your left and say, you're imperfect. Yes. Go ahead and say it. Yes. Some of you are all too glad to say that. We are. But God calls the imperfect to do amazingly perfect things so that he is known and proclaimed as God, which is always a joy for the believer, that he is made known. And so there comes now the joy in being called. You've got this sorrow because you don't know what the outcome's going to be. It's probably going to be a failure. People are going to yell at you and scream at you. It's not going to be great, just like with Ezekiel. But where's the joy then? Where's the joy in this call? Because it's there. All throughout God's comments here to Ezekiel, I don't know if you saw that, but there are tremendous foreshadowings to Jesus Christ. All throughout the Old Testament, the prophets and other characters, Joseph, Moses, things like that, they kind of step into the mold 
of Jesus. They're not Jesus. Don't think that they are just a Jesus walking around. They're humans just like you and I, very much imperfect. But they step into the mold. Why? Because God is giving these foreshadowing images and scenes to his people and to us so that we're primed and ready for when the true Messiah comes that we would recognize and that we would believe. Ezekiel's whole call is so that the people would see how God is going to work through the death and destruction to bring about redemption and restoration. And that redemption and restoration lies solely in the Creator God who will one day send His Son, Jesus, to be the perfect Son of Man, to live the perfect life and die the perfect death so that we may be saved. See, Ezekiel's referred to often in this text as the Son of Man. How many of you ever heard that before? The Son of Man, you've heard that? Yeah. Usually that phrase is attached to Jesus. Jesus is the the capital letter, the Son of Man. I said in the first service, and they didn't laugh, so here's your chance. Jesus is the Ohio State of Prophets. Thank you very much. It was very clever. I came up with that, and everyone was like, what? But anyway, so he is the Son of Man the perfect human to walk this earth, to do what Adam couldn't. But here now, God is using this phrase for Ezekiel, lowercase son of man. What we're to see here is that Ezekiel is walking in the steps of Jesus, yes, but can't do what Jesus is going to do. But he's going to model obedience. He's going to model righteousness by being faithful to the Lord. Listen to what God says to to him. Israel is going to be hardened of heart. Israel is not going to hear, but not you. Don't you be rebellious. You listen to what I have to say. In fact, here are my words and you eat them. Eat them. Make them fill your belly and be satisfied. In that comparison, not only are we supposed to see Christ, but we're also supposed to see how Ezekiel is being compared to Adam, another son of man, like the first one, right? Adam, who received God's breath to bring him to life, was given a test of obedience, wasn't he? What was he told to do? Not eat from a tree. And now here comes Ezekiel, son of man, and his test of obedience is to eat. Eat these words. Eat them and tell them to your people. And that's exactly what he does. And these words in which he eats, that he ingests, this mourning, lamentation, and woe are tasteful. They're sweet as honey. Isn't that weird? That seems weird. You'd think that if you were going to eat something, paper, but if God's going to magically transform it by his hand, that it's all full of mourning, woe, and lament, why on earth would it taste sweet as honey? It should probably taste bitter, but it doesn't taste sweet as honey. In a lot of ways, what we see here is Ezekiel is doing the very thing that the priests do in the temple on the Day of Atonement, where they ingest And they eat the sacrificial lamb to take away the sins. But here now, Ezekiel, not in the temple, he's eating the very words of God that bring about mourning, lament, and woe and judgment to the people. But it tastes sweet as honey because we know that that is not the end. The other thing, too, is that the more that it calls them into faith more. Remember, God is priming this Old Testament audience to recognize who Christ is so that they recognize and see it. I remember as a youth minister, I was a youth minister in 
post-aughts, so after 9-11 and, and things like that, so but within about 10 years of that time, and yet it was still very fresh in the kid's mind. And then you had mass shootings, and you had all sorts of other things that were continuing to go on that are still going on to today. And often they would ask me, how can there be a loving God? How can there be a sweet as honey kind of God that would allow such brokenness and such mess into this world? I think Ezekiel is seeing that. The brokenness and the mess is from our sinfulness. And God very much hates it and weeps along with us at the people who died, at the people who were taken away in these mass tragedies. But joy comes out of that sorrow. Joy comes in Jesus, who is going to make it all right. And so for Ezekiel, as he gives these woes to these people... Of course, we're not there yet. At the end of this prophecy, we're going to see where God is going to come and bring restoration for the people who find faith in Him, who repent and turn to Him, and make them a mighty army for the Lord. That vision is dead bones that receive breath and become the mighty army of the Lord. You and I are this mighty army today. We have the Spirit in full, whereas Ezekiel only had it in part just for this first task. We have it permanently. The Holy Spirit permanently resides in our hearts, convicting us of the truth and the joys of who Jesus is so that we don't sit in this pew, we don't sit in our house, but that we go and share that with other people as we are called so that they become thirsty, so that they recognize who Jesus is and want to take a drink. It is a hard call for us all because we often are called to our families and to our friends and to people who know us. And the sorrow comes because they may not respond. But joy comes from us living out this obedient life and knowing that as long as we faithfully live it out and speak it out and be the aroma of Christ for this world, God may save some and we give thanks and joy for that. It's not on us to make the horse drink. It's just on us to get them to be thirsty. It's not on Ezekiel to get them to all repent. No, his task is to go and tell them the truth. But to tell them the truth of mourning, lament, and woe so that they long for sweet as honey. So that they see that the divine warrior who is coming to take them out might also be the one who can save them. There is joy in being called There is sorrow in being called. The time that we are living in as a church and as a body of Christ, as a person of Christ in this time, I don't know if this is a time of harvest or if this is a time of preparing the soil. But both of those times are in play for the believer, and the call remains the same. To go out, make disciples of the Lord, teaching them all the things that He has taught us, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and trusting in the promise that he is what? Always there with us until the end. Ezekiel is plopped down to dwell with the exiles in their sinfulness with the truth. Another foreshadowing of Christ. And he's bitter and overwhelmed. But he's there to share the truth. And what does it say? The hand of the Lord was strong upon me. Let's boldly step into our call, my friends, just like Ezekiel is, trusting in the Lord that even though there may be sorrow, there is joy, and to hand it over to him to get them to thirst 
and to drink for more. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this good news and this message. I thank you for the challenge of how you call us into action and that oftentimes we don't know what the game plan is. We don't know what the end game and what, what you are doing, but the only thing that we do know is that our true hope and salvation is found in Jesus, and so we want to make that known to everybody and hope by your Holy Spirit you would incline their hearts and their ears to come, to thirst, to drink that living water so that they too may be called sons and daughters of the Most High God. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I was, uh, I told the first service at the end here to just humor me for a little bit. We read The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe to our children just for something fun, and they, they ripped through it, which was great. It took a couple days, and last, uh, a couple nights ago, we watched the actual movie. And at the end of the movie, in the battle, the, the battle scene of The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, the witch's army comes, and Aslan's army is a little bit nervous because they are coming with numbers far greater than, than what they have. And it struck me as I thought about the message today that so often the world in which we are going to, not that they are the witch's army, but folks that don't know who Christ is, that the numbers usually far exceed the ones that do. But that doesn't mean that we give up hope, and that doesn't mean that we walk away from our call. We don't know what people are going to say. We don't know how they're going to accept it or reject it. But the call remains for each and every one of us to be the Roma of Christ, to share the love of Jesus to others so that they thirst for more and take a drink. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, all God's people said, amen. Have a great day, everybody.